have a really simple goal this summer. And I say this every single week, uh, but, but our desire is, is to make our time together on Sunday mornings so simple, so straightforward that you would have to pay somebody to help you misunderstand what's happening. That it would just, it'd just be front and center that in our, in our time, that God would do something miraculous. And here's the miraculous thing that we're praying for. I am praying that God would miraculously shake us from the worship of ourself. That he'd break us from the culture of self-obsession and self-worship and self-longing and self-desire, that he'd break us from the grip of our news cycle and the depression of the stock market and all of the frustration of your family and your work and the girl that's dumped you for the third time and all of this stuff. And I'm not saying that stuff's not significant. I know it matters. But so many of us live in the bubble of ourselves. (laughs) And we're totally out of step with what it is that God is longing to do. (laughs) And the prayer is that as we would come into this place on a Sunday morning, that that God would disrupt us, that he'd shake us, that he would awaken us, that he would stir within us this ability to breathe the air of heaven, to see the significance of God, that deep within us, we'd begin to believe in ways that go past our minds into the primal place where you would believe that there's a God who knows you, sees you, loves you, is walking with you, and that reality would become more real than gravity or the breath that you breathe. That you just stop and go, man, man, there is a God who sees you and knows you and loves you and has purposes and plans for you. And whether you believe this to be true or not, one day your life, if Jesus doesn't return first, your life will end. You will stand before that God. And I promise you, you will not be showing him your portfolio. You won't be bragging about your career. You won't, you'll just be standing in his presence going, man, this is what all of it was pointing to. And in our time together this summer, the Lord would show up and miraculously disrupt us from our obsession with self. And that would happen as we simply just stop and go, hey, let's just look at Jesus. Let's just think about Jesus. Let's behold Jesus together, that we might be transformed. And every fall, our family, we, we get away for a week, a few years ago, we had some dear friends that said, hey, we've got a place down at the beach and we'd love for you to use it once a year. And I'm just telling you, those are our favorite kinds of friends personally. <laughs> and so if you'd like to become one of those friends for us, we would love to build that sort of friendship with you. Um, but they said, hey, we've got this spot at the beach we'd love for you to use. And it's become this little haven of joy for our family. Every year we go down and we spend a few days together. And we've been doing this for seven or eight years. And in the midst of this, there's all of these little traditions that have kind of formed in our time away. And we have a bunch of those. I won't bore you with the details, but, but one of the traditions is, is every year we, we take our boys and there's this little putt-putt course not far from the place that we stay. And, and we go and we play putt-putt. And for whatever reason, this began years ago, right outside of the putt-putt course, there's this palm tree with these little benches. And we got the boys there. We're like, hey, stop right here in front of this tree and we're gonna take a picture of you. And Sydney has the good phone, so she takes you know, all of the good pictures. And then, then I pull out this flip phone 
that I've had. And everybody always asks, does this take pictures? It takes pictures, it does indeed. Um, it's like 1.2 megapixels, the worst. I could hand draw a better photograph than this thing can take a picture of. But years ago, we, we said, hey, we're gonna stop and we're gonna just take a picture of the boys in front of this tree. And so Sydney will take the good pictures and then I'll get them there. And I'm like, okay guys, I want you to stop and pause. And it's like those old timey photographs with the fire explosion bulb, whatever that is. You know, it's like you have to stand still for 45 minutes. You can't move or else it's all, you know, blurry and pixelated. But I'm like, okay, I stand there and I'm like, let's take a picture. Hold, 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 <laughs> hold. And I take a picture. And, and then every year that picture that I take becomes the new screensaver on my phone. Can you guys see that? <laughs> it's an amazing shot. It's amazing, and, and just picture my boys. And I put it there, and every, every day, I kid you not, at some point in the day, I, I just stop, and I just open up this phone, and I, I just look at them, and I'm like, man, I love these kids. I love these kids so much. I'm like, if they, if they knew how much I love them, <laughs> man, Man, I love these kids. And I'll look at the picture and I'll think about their voices. I'll think about their dreams, their desires. I'll think about the heartache, the stuff that they're wrestling with. And sometimes I'll just look at it for a few seconds and then go about my day. Sometimes I'll stop and I'll stare and I'll, I'll pray over them. And, and here, here's what happens. I don't know if you have this with your loved ones. You know, you look at a, a picture of somebody that you love and the more that you look at them, what begins to grow up in your heart? Love, right? There's this like stirring affection. It's like, whoa. And then there's this, this longing that stirs up in us where, where I go, man, I don't just wanna see you in your 1.2 megapixels. You know? It's like, I wanna be with you. I wanna hang out with you. And so on Wednesday of this week, I had a short week. I had so much stuff to do. I had so many things to get to. And I'm sitting in this coffee shop trying to get to, to my to-do list. And I open up the phone and I'm looking at him. And I look like a crazy man just staring at this flip phone like some dude from 1987. And I'm, I'm just looking at this picture and I'm like, man, forget the work. I just gotta go home. And so I pack up my stuff and I get in the Jeep and I go home and Judah, our youngest, runs out. And he's like, dad, you're home early. And I'm like, I know, I was just looking at a picture of you. And so I just had to be here. There's something that happens in us when we stop and we fix our eyes on little snapshots of the people that we love. And this is, this is the way that we really believe that God miraculously begins to break us out of the stronghold of ourselves. It's the way that God begins to, to break us out of our obsession with, with ourself and all of our struggle. He gives us these snapshots in the gospel, the life, the teaching of Jesus. And it's, it's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 3. We've been fixated on this all summer. He says, when you come together communally, when you come together for the purpose of beholding or contemplating the glory of Jesus, transformation begins to happen in your life. That when we take these little pictures of Christ 
even if they're blurry and pixelated like a shot on an old phone, and we just say, hey, let's just look at him. Let's just look at him. Let's just think about him. Let's just imagine him. Let's just picture his voice. Let's just picture his, like, guys, when you do that, I'm telling you, when you do that, something happens in you, and you go from just being a nice Southern church-going kind of person, but you become a heavenly creature. Something happens in us as we behold the glory of God, and so for the next little bit. We're just gonna do what we've been doing all summer. We're just gonna take a, a little snapshot of Jesus and we're gonna walk through it slowly and we're gonna try to let our hearts and our minds and imaginations be captured with the significance of who he is. And so Luke chapter 19, we're gonna start in verse one together. We're gonna go verse by verse together this morning. And the spirit of God may, may capture you or redirect you in one way or the other. I just wanna encourage you to let your heart go with the spirit wherever he takes you. Don't feel like you have to keep up with me. So the spirit of God leads you. But man, I love this snapshot of Jesus. It helps me love him. Oh man, it helps me love him. <laughs> helps me wanna be with him. I love this. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse one. It says, then Jesus entered Jericho and he was just passing through. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was just passing through. So I wanna stop here for just a moment. I want us to understand the story that this miraculous encounter, uh, the setting of this story where this miraculous encounter is about to happen, because I believe if you don't understand the setting of a story, you can't actually understand the story. And so if I were to just tell you, hey, when I was in college one night, my buddies and I got in the car and drove all night, we had a road trip, it was awesome. That's a pretty lame story. But if I tell you at one o'clock in the morning after finishing finals, we jumped in my friend's 1997 Honda Accord that did not have working front brakes and we got in the car with no money or no plans and eight hours later ended up in Columbus, Ohio for whatever reason. And it was like the trip of a lifetime as we're eating McDonald's fish filet sandwiches for breakfast. You know, I could, I could tell you all these stories and you go, wait, what, why, how? No, this doesn't matter. If you don't understand where the story takes place, you might miss some of the beauty of what's taking place. Look back at verse one with me. Where does this story take place? Somebody shouted out, what's the name of the city? Jericho. Jericho. And some of you that grew up in church, maybe, maybe you know the stories of Jericho. You remember the moment where God sends Joshua and the people into the promised land, and this is one of the first places they take possession of, and he doesn't send them with the army. He sends them with the marching band. He's like, we're gonna walk around the walls, remember this? And this is the way that we're gonna do it. But Jericho has this, this crazy rich history amongst the people of God. And between that moment in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua to the moment that we find ourselves in Luke chapter 19, lots of different things had happened. Lots of different places, lots of different uh, people had come from different places to cultivate this city, to rebuild this city, to capture this city, to, to take this city. Jericho was a, a beautiful city. It was an oasis in the middle of a region that doesn't have a lot of water. And so you'd walk into Jericho and it was green, it was lush, it was beautiful. It was a place where, where people wanted to go. It was a place that was filled with life and commerce and technology and the arts. In fact, Jericho was such a, a beautiful, significant city. 30 years before Jesus was born, uh, the great Roman uh, uh, military strategist and, and political Mark Antony, maybe you've heard that name, maybe you remember that name from eighth grade history class. Mark Antony loved the city so much that he gifted the city of Jericho to his girlfriend, Cleopatra. Now, what, what a boss move to, to give 
your girlfriend a city. You know, it's like some of you are like, I'm gonna give her a pair of jeans from Madewell. That's just like, that's a lot of money. That's the best I can do. He's like, here's a city, you know, here you go. It's a city that people wanted to be in, but it wasn't just a beautiful city. It was, it was a city that was known for its bustling spiritual heritage by the days of Jesus. In fact, it was often referred to as a priestly city because there were so many men and women of God that operated in the city. And so I just want you to picture where this is unfolding, this beautiful oasis, this place where people wanted to be, spiritual life, at least from the eyes of humans, was bubbling up. And it says, Jesus shows up where? Shout it out, Jesus shows up in? in, Come on, Jesus shows up in? Listen, we're gonna learn how to talk with each other. I know we're in a new place, we're gonna learn how to be a family. In Jericho, he shows up. And he's not planning to stay long. It says he's what? He's passing through. This is the setting. Keeps going, verse two. And it says, and there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector. And he was very wealthy. There's a man there by the name of Zacchaeus and he was a, a chief tax collector. He was very wealthy. I want you to just think about this for a moment. You know, there's so much in a person's name. A person's name tells you very very little about their heart. It tells you a lot about their parents' hearts. Because very few people come out of the womb and name themselves. That's typically something that's done for you, right? And so I remember when our boys were getting ready to be born, Sydney and I would stop and think, and we're like, okay, what are we gonna name the boys? We'd pray about it, and we'd, we'd come up with names, and then we'd remember somebody from third grade that had that name that we didn't like, and so that name is off the list, and then we'd come up with another name, and we're like, okay, what's that name mean? And we'd go look it up, and it's like, oh, Mighty Warrior, I like that one, you know? And go look up another name, it's like, you know, the Prince of Elves, and it's like, no, not gonna... Not, not gonna pick that name. It's like, because there's significance in the names that we're choosing. Do you guys know what Zacchaeus means? It means the righteous one, the innocent one, the pure one. It's amazing to think about there's this moment when he was born and his parents held him and we don't know anything else about his parents other than they picked that name. <laughs> But I don't think it takes too much imagination to go, man, I bet you they were praying for that kid. They had dreams for that kid. They had longings for that kid. They had a spiritual destiny that they wanted to impart to that kid. But you get to him in Luke chapter 19, verse two, and we don't know the backstory. We don't know the why. Maybe it was in college. Maybe it's because of somebody he started dating. Maybe it was just his own flesh and blood and his greed that took him away. But at some point, he hit the eject button on the spiritual destiny that had been imparted to him, and he started going his own way. And you meet him here in Luke chapter 19 and it says that he's not just a tax collector, but he is a chief tax collector, which means he's not just dealing drugs, he is leading the drug dealers. He is is the one that is organizing the extortion of his own people. During the days of Jesus, tax collectors were some of the most hated guys because what they did was they forfeited their nationality. They gave up the right to be Jewish so they could take money from their own people and use it and give it to the Roman war regime and then get some money, get rich in the process. And so just imagine this in our current setting. This would be like someone in Ukraine going to the Russian government saying, hey, I want to raise taxes for you so I can fund the war against our own people. Tax collectors were hated. We see it's here in this beautiful setting, this, this beautiful city that we encounter this, this man that finds himself in a messy moment. 
And there's some of you that are parents in the room this morning. I just want to speak a quick word of encouragement to you. There are some of you that are parents in the room and you did everything you knew to do to help your kids walk the journey that you know God has in store for them. And for whatever reason, the story has not yet played out that way. And guys, I just want to tell you, God's not done. He's not done. He's still at work. He's still on the move. Zacchaeus, here in the middle of the city, has become this tax collector. Things aren't going the way his parents most likely wanted. Verse three, I love this, but you see something beautiful bubbling up in this beautiful city with this messy man. You see this bubbling up of curiosity. Look at this, verse three. It says, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. Man, we should stop right there and go, whoa, what's happening? He doesn't love Jesus yet, doesn't know Jesus yet. He's not a disciple of Jesus yet. There's just something in him that's going, whoa, I'm curious about this guy. There's a bubbling up. Guys, I just wanna name this for you. Anytime you see anyone exhibiting any measure of curiosity around the person of Jesus, you should just stop and go, that's a supernatural reality. He wanted to see who Jesus was, verse three, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Now, here's what I want you to notice is in this beautiful city, there's this, this messy guy, his life was unfolding. There's this bubbling up of, of curiosity within, within Zacchaeus. But there's a couple of conditions that are making it tough for him to see Jesus as he really is. One of those conditions is his personal condition. He was, he was short, he, he couldn't see Jesus. But the other condition was a communal condition because people were crowding all around Jesus. And guys, I just want, I want us to just acknowledge it is tough sometimes to see Jesus in the midst of our day-to-day life, isn't it? It's tough. And sometimes it's difficult because of your personal condition, your choices, your thoughts, your sin, your life, your habits, your priorities. Sometimes it's difficult to see Jesus as he is because of our personal conditions. Sometimes it's tough to see Jesus because of our communal condition. You think about the people that have hurt you or wounded you, the churches that have hurt you or wounded you, the people all around you that make it really difficult to believe that this whole Christianity might be worth investigating. And I love it, it's here in this beautiful city with this messy guy that this bubbling curiosity begins to bubble up in the midst of all of these conditions that have made it tough for him to see Jesus, verse four. But all of a sudden you just get this this uprising of grit in him. He goes, hey, no, no more excuses. No more excuses, look at verse four. It says, so Zacchaeus ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus since Jesus was coming his way. I love this, it's just innovation. The dude's like, hey, I'm short, I can't see over the people, what am I gonna do, don't have a ladder? You know, he's, he's like, how am, I, how am I gonna see Jesus? So he runs ahead and he climbs up, he goes, man, I've gotta quit making excuses, I've gotta get up, up above the crowd, I've, I've got to cat, capture a, a snapshot of who this guy is. A couple of months ago, I was having lunch with a guy from our church, he just started coming to Ethos. And he's telling me a story, he grew up in a great Christian home. Parents had poured into him, poured into him, poured into him. When he was in his early 20s, he ran as far from his faith and geographically as far from his home as he could get. And he was just going down the rabbit hole of, of just living the way that the world told him would be good. And so as he would say, you know, sin took him further than he wanted to go, kept him longer than he wanted to stay, cost him more than he ever intended to pay. So he's there just in the mess and he's kind of wrestling with, with all of these things. He said, but all of a sudden there's this bubbling 
up curiosity that even if the Christianity he thought he had left was not worth going back for, maybe the Jesus who was at the center of it was worth exploring again. So I told him, I, said, I asked him, I said, what did, you, what did you do to start just like opening your heart to Jesus? And he said, man, he said, I just had to kind of get above some of the stuff that was blocking my vision of Christ again. He said, I had to create a little bit of distance from some of my friends. He said, I had to get out of that crowd. He said, I had to quit smoking pot every night. He's like, that wasn't helpful. I had to quit drinking. He said, I had to, had to delete you know, uh, my profile on Tinder. He said, all of these things. He goes, it's not that God couldn't come through those things. He said, but I realized that the, 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 the personal condition of my life and the communal condition of those that were around me were obstructing my view of Jesus. And he said, I just had to get out and get above. He said, I got out and I got above and all of a sudden, unsurprisingly, Jesus began coming in and living color again. I started to see him. I love this. In this beautiful city, this messy man with this bubbling up of curiosity, this, this desire that he wasn't gonna make excuses anymore. You know, some of you, you've been in the excuse-making game for a really long time. Let's just call it what it is. And the Lord's going, no, I got more for you. I've got more for you. Verse five when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was, I love this, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. There's that train again, just always getting us. Because I must stay at your house today. I just want you to just, just picture just the beauty of the scene. Jesus is walking into this beautiful city surrounded by crowds of people. It's the, it's the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. He's, he's walking into the city surrounded by people and he comes to this moment where Zacchaeus is up in a tree and Jesus just stops and the crowd stops and he goes, he goes hey, because I see you. Hey, Zacchaeus, come down, man. I gotta stay at your house tonight. I wasn't planning to stay in town. I wasn't planning to, he goes, I've gotta stay at your house today. Guys, I want the humanity of the story to just wash over us. What would it be like to be seen by God? <laughs> to be noticed by God? You know, why did, why did Jesus notice Zacchaeus? You know, maybe, maybe it's because he's God and he sees you. Maybe it's because the moment was just so unusual. I want you to just think about this for a moment. Who climbs trees? Somebody shout it out. What type of people climb trees? Who, who, who climbs trees? Children. Children, kids, yeah, right. Like, we have two trees in our front yard. I come home at the end of the day. It's not a weird thing to see my boys up in a tree, their shoes off, reading a book, hanging out, playing. If I drove home and my next door neighbor, Chad, was in a three-piece suit at the top of the tree, I promise you, I'm not just like, hey, Chad, and then walk into my house. I'm like, Sid, take the kids inside. I'm like, Chad, you okay, buddy? What's going on? <laughs> so, uh, so out of the ordinary. He, he walks by this, this tree, Zacchaeus, this wealthy Tax collector is, is up at the top of the tree and, and Jesus goes, I see you, but he doesn't stop there. He goes, I, I see you and, and I know you. He goes, he goes, I call you by name. I call you, what, what an amazing thing. Guys, what an amazing, I want you to think about this for just a second. 
The God of the universe who created all things, when he looks down at the seven billion people that are on planet earth, he does not, seem a, he does not see a nameless, faceless blob. He sees Lucas and Pam and Connie and Brandon and Jason and Chloe. He goes, How many of you have sat in this room and met the same people six weeks in a row and you still can't remember their names? So now you go past asking their name and just like, hey, what's up? (laughs) Glad I'm not the only one. Guys, that God, he, he looked and he goes, Zacchaeus, I see you. I know you. I want you. <laughs> he goes, come down. I want to stay at your place today. <laughs> now, maybe there wasn't much to this. Maybe it's just because Zacchaeus was the richest guy in town and Jesus knew that. And Jesus is like, if I'm going to stay, I might as well stay with a nice pool and a pickleball court in the backyard and a little sauna. You know, it's like, but, but I'm convinced it had nothing to do with the place. It was about the person. And Jesus goes, I see you, I know you, I love you, I want you, I want, man, I want to be with you. That's what I feel every day when I'm like looking at that little picture of my kids on that little pixelated phone. I'm like, guys, if you knew how I felt about you, you would fundamentally live the rest of your life differently when you're in my presence. If you really knew, I I tell them all the time, I'm like, guys, you have no idea. You're gonna wake up in your mid-30s maybe and maybe you'll get a glimpse of it. see you. I know you, Zacchaeus. I lo- Man, Zacchaeus, come down. I've got to stay at your place tonight. I love Zacchaeus' response, verse six. So he comes down at once. That's a great move, by the way. He doesn't ponder it, doesn't think about it, doesn't pray about it, doesn't ask all of his buddies in his accountability group. Comes down at, down at once, and, and what's he do? It says he welcomed Jesus gladly. Guys, there's this spiritual principle I don't want you to miss. I heard John Tyson say this a few months ago. It's just stuck with me ever since. He goes, God has this way of showing up wherever he's wanted. God shows up where he's wanted. And he looks at Zacchaeus and he goes, I want you, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus looks back at him and he goes, and I want you. And Jesus goes, okay, let's party. In this beautiful town with this messy man, this bubbling up of curiosity, this pushing through of grit, this unbelievable moment where God cuts through the noise. He sees him, knows him, loves him, wants him, calls him. Zacchaeus responds. And look at what the crowds do in this priestly city. You'd expect it to feel like one of our baptism nights was singing and dancing and joy and celebration because that's how the people of God are supposed to respond when sinners repent. But look how they respond, verse seven. It says, and all the people saw this and they began to what? They began to mutter to themselves, and they said, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Guys, it's crazy to me how quickly this shift happens in so many of our hearts. We go from going, oh my goodness, I am a sinner saved by the grace of God, to suddenly believing that we are beyond, we are better than, we are above all of the sinners who have yet to be saved by the grace of God. And I don't know how to say this more clearly. A church, a church with a low view of humanity is a church that has a low view of Jesus. 
A church that has, has looked at humanity and goes, hey, they're beyond help. And here's what I mean by this. A church that looks at humanity and go, hey, they can't be saved. They're beyond recovery. They're beyond redemption. That ultimately doesn't reveal your, your understanding of humanity. It reveals the fact that you've lost sight of the power and the magnificence and the beauty and the redemptive strength of Jesus. And the crowd goes, man, he wants, he wants to stay with sinners. Everyone in the crowd should have stopped and gone, Thank God he wants to stay with sinners. Thank God he wants to hang with me. Thank God he wants to hang with Will. Thank God he wants to be with Phil. Thank God that God wants to be with sinners. Because man, that gives guys like me a chance. Verse eight. But Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, Lord, look here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And, I, if, and if I have cheated, I love that he says if, like he's still in the process of transformation. <laughs> you know, Jesus was probably like, buddy, if, let's just go ahead and delete that if. He's like, if I happen to cheat anybody, out of anything, I'll pay them back four times the amount. Here's what I love is salvation is never just this private, personal, spiritual thing. It is this whole-bodied reality Repentance takes over and it begins to touch every area of our lives. And Zacchaeus had spent his life cheating people out of what they had. And he says, I don't just want to get right. He goes, I want to help people get ahead again. Begins to touch everything. This is inside out transformation. I remember years ago, there was a guy who got baptized at the cannery. I'd never met him before that moment that he got baptized. I didn't know anything about his story. That night, we'd been raising money for our church plants in Eastern India, so we'd been talking about that, and this guy gets baptized, and uh, I remember he comes out of the water, and I love watching people come out of the water. It's so beautiful, but this guy comes out of the water just like a double fist punch in the air towards heaven, like just excited, like almost knocked my teeth out when he comes up, just like, yes, you know, and just praising, and water's running off of him, and I'll never forget what he shouted the moment, I kid you not, he comes out of the water, the band is playing, but he comes out of the water, and he shouts, I'm giving 20000 thousand dollars to India and I'm like come again I'm like, I don't know what I expected him to say but he just comes out with this like salvific energy and there's just this like oh god what you've done for me I want to do for others and I love this picture Zacchaeus comes down out of the tree he sees Jesus for who he is and he goes hey everything that used to matter it's yours Beautiful city, messy man, bubbling up of curiosity, pushes through the crowds and his own issues that he has, climbs a tree. Jesus sees him, knows him, loves him, calls to him. He responds, even though the crowds still don't get it. And I love the way the story ends, verse nine and 10. So Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because even this man is a son of Abraham. I love this. Jesus talks about himself. He says, for the son of man, came to seek and save what's lost. I go, guys, this summer's been all about how do we capture a snapshot of Jesus' personality, his passions, his longings, his desires, his wants. And I go, I go do, you know what, do you know what Jesus is passionate about? It's seeing people one at a time come back into the Father's house. 
It's the miracle of seeing people being broken free from that grip and that trap of self-worship and self-loathing and all, all of that stuff to, to behold the reality of who he is as they enter back into the family of the Father once again. Jesus goes, this is the thing that I'm passionate about. And I go, guys, if you want to be in step with Jesus, if you want to know Jesus, then part of it is saying, hey, Jesus, would you capture me again with the vision for what it is that has captured your heart and would you help me to see people the way that you see them? Stir it up in me. And I go, guys, this is one of the great differences between all of the religions of the world and true Christianity. Now, there's versions of Christianity that are no different than the religions of the world, but I'm talking about the religions of the world and true Christianity. Here's how I'd sum it up. The religions of the world say something like this. You strive, you work, you seek, you go after God. You go after enlightenment. You make yourself, save yourself, lead yourself, clean yourself, earn your position. That's what all the religions of the world say. That's what some of your versions of Christianity that you grew up in may have even said. It's this, it's this hey, you do this, you do this, you go looking for God. That's how I'd sum it up. World religions say, you go looking for God. But the gospel says, no, God has come looking for you. It's fundamentally different. Two entirely different foundations. And when your life is built upon the foundation of I've got to serve, I've got to give, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to, it fundamentally warps your understanding of the whole story. But when all of a sudden you begin to believe, no, uh uh-uh, I didn't go looking for God, but God came looking for me. When I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Christ pursued me. He saw me in the tree. He called my name. He came into my home. He's got purposes and plans and desires. Like this is who, this is who God is. And when, when your life begins to awaken to that reality, everything in us begins to shift. When we, when we, tr- when we behold that beauty, <laughs> that Christ showed up and said, hey, I see you, I know you, I love you, I want you. Hey, come on, come on, come on. I got plans and purposes. Guys, I think something would change. Just every day we'd open up that phone and we'd just grab a, a picture of Christ and we'd just look and we'd think and we'd imagine his voice and we'd think about his heart and we'd go, man, why'd you do that, Jesus? And what's that mean? If you bring all of your joy and all of your sorrow and if, if you just, man, something changes when you look at this picture of Jesus. Something, something changes if you would wake up in the morning and just start your morning. I wanna challenge you to do this week. Start every morning by preaching the gospel to yourself before you even get out of bed. Just, just in your bed, just to go, okay, uh, hey, Jesus, you see me, you know me, you love me. Before I made any of those choices, you were pursuing me. You have plans and purposes. And vi- like, just start by proclaiming the gospel to yourself. Like I think back to, to my own story, 15 years old in Charleston, South Carolina on a Sunday night after I'd gone whitewater rafting with some of my buddies. And I'm not sure why that was the moment when, when God says, I wanna break through the noise. I wanna break through the worship of yourself. And I want you, David, to see that I know you, love you, want you, I'm pursuing you. I'm not sure why it was that moment. But there's this moment, it's like, oh, he knows me. And I did nothing to deserve it or to earn it. Free gift, free reality that I now get to live from. 
If you just wake up in the mornings and just start the morning just preaching the gospel to yourself, to your weary, stressed out, exhausted heart. This is who you are, God. This is who I am. This is what you have for me. It's when we begin to understand the reality of the gospel coming into our own heart that we can then turn and share the life-giving reality of the gospel with other hearts. Because we see Christ and then we begin to go out and man, this view of Jesus, it, it changes the way we view everybody else around you. If you would start the morning by preaching the gospel to yourself, I'm telling you, it would transform the way you see every idiot you run into the rest of that day. And we all know we see them. How many times in a day do you look at somebody and just go, oh, they're the worst. Maybe you're better than me. Maybe you never think that. Had it happen earlier this week. Just tell you one quick story. I, I'm in line at, you know, in traffic at a red light. And this car just pulls out beside all of us in oncoming traffic. I mean, who does that? If this is you, you can come down later and repent. We'll talk about it. But pull outside uh, in ongoing traffic, cuts all the way down the front, in front of everybody, pulls in front of the line. I'm like, wait, who are you? Why are you so important? Why are you doing that? <laughs> it was in my head. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a lot of things, um, mostly prayers and Bible verses. Um, <laughs> And so then the light turns green and the person speeds up and I'm like, I need to catch up with them just so I can adequately pray for them. I've got to see who that is. And, <laughs> and so, so I, I pull up and, and I'm racing and I pull up and I turn, it's Will Shinnick. I'm joking, it wasn't. <laughs> I wish it would have been Will. Christian has a story of, actually I was driving poorly. Christian husband, you can ask him this later. I was driving poorly one time and he was mad and he pulled up and saw it was me. So that was a, that was an, so sometimes, you see the idiots, sometimes you are the idiots, right? But I've got to race up, I've, I've got to pull up beside this person. I'm like, who is it, who, you know? And, and, and I pulled up and my heart was just so filled with just like, this person's the worst human ever made. Like I've found them, congrats, Dave. I've found the worst human ever alive. And have you ever felt that before? Like you just, and, and in a moment, your diminishing view of that person is a revelation of your diminishing view of Jesus. And the Spirit of God is just like, I love her. I died for her. I bled for her. I'm at work in her. Don't be like the crowd. Don't be like the crowd. And you go, man, what, what would it be like if Ethos Church became the place where every shipwrecked, train-wrecked, sin-soaked, soul-weary person showed up and they said, nobody else in the world would give me a chance to believe in me, but those people can see me because they know Christ. I go, what if we were given the heavenly gift of becoming the most dysfunctional place on planet Earth? Because every broken person showed up here knowing that because we had our eyes above the fray, because we know that we've been seen, loved, called on, redeemed, that there's nobody too far gone to be touched by Christ. I go, man, I think if we look at that picture, Jesus begins to work a transformation. So here's what, here's what I want us to do this morning. You know, there's some of you that might be in a Zacchaeus kind of space. 
and you've been running and the spirit of God is just calling your name this morning. There's gonna be some men and women over at the Respond Banner. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you, help you take a step with Jesus, get baptized, get filled with the Holy Spirit. We'd love for that to happen today. Here in just a moment while we're receiving communion, worshiping, praying, come up and be prayed with. We'd love to meet with you. If you're in a Zacchaeus kind of moment, we'd love to do that. For the rest of you, we have the bread and we have the juice around the room. And every week as we come to the table of grace, as we take the body, as we take the blood, we're reminded that Christ died for us, that Christ saved us, that Christ is forgiving us, that Christ is leading us. And literally, as you get up and walk to the table of grace every week, it is like an addict walking into an AA meeting. It's this admission of need. And we're walking to the table of grace, not just for elements, not just for symbols, but we're coming for Christ himself. And he's there in the midst of the breaking of the bread of the receiving of the cup. And so I just wanna encourage you as you come back, we do this in community. So get the bread, get the cup, get in groups. Talk about the way that Jesus has saved you. Talk about the way that Jesus has reached into your life. Talk about the way that he's blessed you. Pray with each other, pray for each other. And then if you have some time, I'd encourage you to stop and pray for the Zacchaeuses in your life that maybe you've given up on. Pray that God would do something miraculous there this morning. Let's stand together. I wanna pray that the spirit of God would just seal up his word in our hearts this morning, that he'd water it however he'd see fit. And then we'll receive communion and we'll come up for prayer. Father, I love you. Jesus, I love you. Holy Spirit, I love you. And I just thank you, Lord, for the way that you show up. You show up in our lives in unexpected moments into the mess, that you are the God that wants to dwell in the house with sinners that makes no sense. But Lord, thank you that you are so different. You are too good for us to have made up out of our own imagination. And God, I just acknowledge that my words fell so short this morning of anything uh, that you truly are. But Lord, we just pray in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would move us beyond the frailty of, uh, of my words and uh, our imaginations and that God, you would bring us into the presence of the, the transforming Christ this morning as we receive the bread, as we receive the cup, as we confess our sins, as we reflect on the beauty of who you are. Jesus, may you do more than we could ask or imagine. It's in your name that I pray and give thanks, amen. Hey, I love you. Let's come up. Let's receive communion. It's on the tables all around the room. If you want to receive prayer, there's men and women that would love to pray with you at the Respond Banner. Let's fix our eyes on Christ together. See what the Spirit of God wants to say to us. I love you all.